15, verses 1 to 20. A little bit of a change in the uh, sermon series today. We've got a, a change to 1 Corinthians because our brother Steve Watt will be speaking to us this morning. So we're moving from Luke to 1 Corinthians just for this week, this week only for a while. Thanks, Heather. It's on page 815. 1 Corinthians 15, starting at 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you were saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Uh, well, it's my great privilege uh, to open the scriptures with you this morning. Uh, I'm very mindful of the privilege it is uh, to step into this pulpit with Scott away. Uh, it's big shoes to fill. Um, but isn't the gospel great? Uh, that doesn't matter who points us to it. Uh, Jesus remains amazing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel of Jesus. And as we consider it again this morning, please help us to hear your voice. Help us to trust your son. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, we live in an amazingly uncertain world, don't we? Just this week, we've had a double dissolution election called. <laughs> My son's not certain where to go. John, John, come this way. Mummy's over here. Quite okay. <laughs> John, this way. <laughs> Oh dear. Double dissolution election. Uncertain. 
I bet you those senators who were elected last time thought they'd be in for six years. They only got half the term. Who's going to be running our country in July? Is that plebiscite going to happen? That one we keep hearing about. And what's that going to mean for the definition of marriage? What's going to happen in the Middle East? Things in Libya just seem like they keep getting worse, don't they? Can we be certain that there's ever going to be a solution? Can the problem ever be solved? And what's going to happen to all those refugees who have been flooding into Europe? What's going to happen to them? We've got no certainty, have we? We just cannot know what's going to happen. And the big problem with uncertainty is it keeps us frozen. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to act. We have no confidence. Now, there are some things in life that are easy to be certain about, aren't there? Um, At the moment, it's autumn. Soon it'll be winter, and then it'll be spring. How do we know that? Well, it's because it's a cycle. It just goes round and round every year. And there are lots of cycles around us. Um, and, and the longer you live, the, the more cycles you notice. Um, there are weather cycles, there are business cycles, there are fuel price cycles, there are political cycles. Okay, we've got the libs at the moment, and maybe that's going to change soon, but if it does, it'll change back again. It's a cycle. It goes round and around and around. If you study the cycle long enough, you can get pretty good at predicting what's going to happen next. But the important changes in life, they're not cycles, are they? They're linear. They move from A to B and never back again. Linear change is very uncertain and very scary because until it happens, how can you know? You can't have any certainty. Will it happen? If it does, what will it mean? When will it happen? How's that going to change my life? Linear change is uncertain, and the uncertainty keeps us frozen. We don't know how to act because we don't know what's going to happen, and we don't know what's coming next. The resurrection is a linear change. A dead person comes to life and never goes back again. That's a pretty uncertain thing to to think in the future, isn't it? That a dead person might come back to life. It's uncertain. And so how can we be certain about the resurrection? Well, that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is all about. The Apostle Paul wants to give the Corinthians certainty about the resurrection. And as we we get to listen in on on their conversation, if you like, and we get certainty too. Now, it doesn't make us certain about everything, but we can be certain about the resurrection. The resurrection is absolutely certain. It's like money in the bank. You put it in, you draw it out, you can count on it. It's absolutely certain. Now, let's look a bit closer and see how Paul goes about giving this kind of certainty. Have a look at the first verse with me. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. This is the climax of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And throughout the letter, he's been pointing them back to the cross of Jesus and also forward to the coming resurrection. Paul's concern is that Christian believers would live in the light of these two realities, Uh, the cross behind and the dawning resurrection ahead. And here at the climax of the letter, uh, he begins by pointing back again 
to the gospel of Jesus. Stick with the gospel you've already received. See, the gospel is not new to these people, and it's not new to us either. It's, it's news that's already come. It's not new, it's not flashy, it's not sexy. It's the gospel that we already know. It's something which we've already received. But it is the most important thing that a Christian can know. Stick with the gospel on which you've taken your stand. Uh, the gospel's not news out there. It's not news that we've heard, but that doesn't make any difference to us. No, it's news in here. Uh, it's news that's deep within us, that we've grasped hold of, that we've believed. Christians stand upon the gospel. Our lives are built upon it. Stick with the gospel by which you are saved. The gospel which was, was spoken by Paul, which the Corinthians received, uh, which they built their lives upon, that gospel is the thing which saves them and which saves us too. But there's a condition attached. If, if you hold firmly to the word as preached. See, being saved, uh, living forever with God, it depends on holding on to the gospel that we've received. Salvation depends on continuing to believe the gospel. Those who let go of the gospel which was preached will not be saved. They have believed in vain. That's a hard word, isn't it? It's not enough to just accept Jesus. Uh, we can't just accept Jesus but then turn our backs on him. No, we're, we're saved if we hold on to Jesus. We have received the gospel which teaches us about him. And salvation depends on holding on to the gospel that we've already received. Paul urges the Corinthians, and he urges us too, stick with the gospel. If you give up on the gospel, then whatever belief you might have had, however much time you've spent in church, whatever your pedigree, it was a waste of time. This is a big challenge, isn't it? We love to hear new things. Uh, we love to move on. But here we are, st we are told, stick with the same old story. Stick with yesterday's news. The gospel is something you've already received. Uh, the gospel is something on which you've taken your stand. The gospel is the thing by which you are saved. Are you willing to hear the gospel again? If you're bored by the gospel then your faith in Jesus is in very great danger because the gospel is the news which saves us. And as he goes on, Paul expands what this gospel is. I have a look at verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared... Uh, who he appeared to, we'll get to in a sec, but there are four parts to the gospel we know. Christ died for sins. Christ was buried. Christ was raised. And Christ appeared. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel we know. The gospel on which we've taken our stand. Christ died for our sins. Now, sins is not a word that, as a society, we really understand anymore, is it? When, when your friends hear the word sin, what do they think of? I think for most people, they think of forbidden pleasure. 
Something that's just a little bit naughty, but it's nice. Chocolate. Ice cream. Alcohol. Yeah, they're, they're indulgent. Enjoyable naughtiness. When most people hear the word sin, they think something like that. Uh, enjoyable but naughty. But that doesn't work, does it? Christ died so we could eat chocolate. Yeah, you should laugh. It's ridiculous. No, sin is much more serious than that. Uh, sin, I think, at, it, at its heart is about autonomy. We declare autonomy from God. Our relationship with Him is broken and we're happy that it's broken. We want to rule our own lives our own way. And if that's what sin is, then an ordinary quiet life in the back streets of Port Macquarie can be a life of sin. A life that says to God, I don't want you. I don't need you. I don't care about you. Just go away and leave me alone. A life in profound defiance of God, even though to every onlooker it looks like a perfectly normal, moral life. This is what the Bible calls sin. Autonomy. Our relationship with God is in tatters. But the incredible news is that Christ died for our autonomy. Our autonomous actions, our quiet defiance of God. The wrecked relationship that is between us. Jesus died for that. Jesus died to bring peace between us and God. Jesus' death repairs the relationship. This is the gospel we know. Christ died for our sins. And Christ was buried. He really was dead. Now, some people have said, oh, he just fell unconscious. And then a couple of days later, he woke up. He was in a coma or something. No, he really was dead. Jesus was executed by professional killers. Roman soldiers didn't make mistakes. If they did, they found themselves sharing the punishment of the one uh, that they'd let, let escape. Uh, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, the Roman soldiers came along and broke the legs of the three men hanging on the cross. Well, they came to break the three, but they got to Jesus and they found, oh, he's already dead. We don't need to break his legs to make him die faster. Uh, and when Simon... Uh, Simon asked if he could have the body to bury it. The governor said, he's dead already? That's too quick. And he sent someone to check. And yep, the word came back, yep, he's definitely dead. Roman soldiers don't make mistakes. They're professional killers. Jesus really was dead. Uh, and as the body was taken down and, and Simon was wrapping the body uh, in, in a shroud, don't you think he would have noticed if Jesus was breathing as he lifts the torso and, and tucks a sheet underneath, as he covers his face? If Jesus was breathing, if Jesus was alive, Simon would have noticed. But no, he was dead. And so Simon placed him in a tomb and sealed it with a large stone. Christ was buried. This is the gospel we know. Christ died for our sins. Christ was buried. And on the third day, Christ was raised. You see, death could not hold him. Though he'd been executed by professional killers, though he'd been buried by a man who loved him, 
Christ did not stay dead. On the third day, life returned to his broken body and he lived again. This is the gospel we know. Christ was buried. Christ died for our sins. Christ was buried and Christ was raised on the third day. The linear change has happened. A man has gone from death to life. But how can we know that that's true? How do we know it's not just a story? How do we know that Jesus really did rise from the dead? Well, Paul wants to give his readers certainty. And so he gives us two reasons to be certain. Uh, The first is just very brief and uh, kind of a throwaway almost. Uh, In those verses that we've, we've just looked at, he just tosses in twice, according to the Scriptures. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Christ was buried and Christ was raised, according to the Scriptures. See, the event of Jesus' death was no accident. It happened according to the Scriptures. Uh, That is, God told us beforehand that it would happen. Uh, It happened according to the plan of God. Uh, It happened according to the foreknowledge of God. It wasn't like God was outsmarted uh, when the Romans arrested Jesus and suddenly had to come up with a plan B. No, the resurrection was always the plan. Jesus' death for sin was always the plan. These things are written large across the Old Testament. Everywhere you turn, there are echoes of Jesus' death to deal with sin and the new life that would come through him. I wish we had time to to turn to a few of them and see. Um, Perhaps later you might like to look up Isaiah 53, Jeremiah 23, Micah 5, Zechariah 9. I, I could keep listing scriptures. Uh, The death and resurrection of Jesus are written large across the Old Testament. This is the gospel we know. Christ died for our sins. Christ was buried. Christ was raised. This is the gospel according to the Scriptures. We can have certainty about salvation because the gospel message is exactly in line with the things that God told us beforehand that they would happen. But it's not enough, is it? The resurrection is a big deal. Knowing that someone predicted it doesn't tell us whether it actually happened, does it? Has the linear change really happened? A to B is a long way apart, death to life. So Paul gives us certainty in a second way. He reminds the Corinthians and he reminds us that Christ appeared. After his resurrection, Jesus was seen by many people. Have a look at verse 5. Christ appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to, to me, also as to one abnormally born. See, after he had risen from the dead, Jesus was seen by a whole host of people. He was seen by Peter, his best friend. We can be certain that Jesus really rose because his best friend saw him alive again. Now, perhaps perhaps you might think that Peter, in his grief, got confused and thought he saw Jesus, but it was someone else. Well, no, Jesus appeared to the twelve as well, uh, Jesus' closest companions. We can be certain that Jesus really rose from the dead because the twelve saw him alive. But perhaps it was a conspiracy. Twelve good friends could carry off a conspiracy, couldn't they? 
Oh, they could come up with a story and stick to it, couldn't they? Well, maybe. But verse, look at verse 6. After that, Christ appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. 500 people. How many people in this room today? 100? Maybe not even. It's more than five times the number of people who are here today. Jesus was seen by them at the same time. A crowd, a crowd was gathered and there was Jesus. Now, it's a bit of a strange event tossed in. Uh, all of the other things mentioned that are, uh, all the other appearances mentioned here, we've got other records of. Jesus appearing to the crowd of 500, we don't have another record of it. Then there's very little detail, isn't there? He appeared and they're still alive. Paul writes as though this is an event that the Corinthians would know about. Uh, he's, he's a contemporary, he was alive at the time. And he's writing to another group of contemporaries and says, you know that, that Jesus appearing to the 500? You remember that, right? This is information that they know. It's just tossed in. And this is pretty powerful historical evidence. It's just tossed in like they should know about it. And he even adds that they can go and ask them. You know, they're still alive. If you don't believe me, go ask them. If you don't trust me, ask them. This is no conspiracy. The resurrection is a matter of public record. Jesus really did rise from the dead. If you want to know if it's true, use the usual method. Go and ask the eyewitnesses. Talk to someone who was there. Now, obviously, we're a long way away in time from Corinth, aren't we? Uh, the 500 who were at that time were still alive, well, now they've all fallen asleep, I'm sad to say. But this gives us great certainty, doesn't it? The resurrection of Jesus didn't happen in a corner. It wasn't a story cooked up by 12 friends. No, because Jesus wasn't seen by just a few. It was public. It was well known. And everybody knew about it. Even James, the brother of Jesus, saw him alive. If anyone's going to spot a fake, it'll be his brother, right? Paul even includes himself as a witness. Uh, he was not just passing on what others had told him. He saw the risen Jesus. Paul had been an enemy of Christian belief. He'd gone around arresting Christians. But then he saw the risen Jesus. That's what he means in verse 9 when he says, I am the least, the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul saw the risen Jesus and it changed him completely. He had been an enemy of God's people. But he became a defender. No one is beyond the reach of the gospel. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. There is nothing we can do that is unforgivable. God took a man who was arresting and persecuting the church of Jesus and made him a champion of Jesus. The grace of God can change the hardest heart. This is the gospel we know, that Christ died for our sins, that Christ was buried, that Christ was raised according to the scriptures and that he appeared not to one or two, but to many.
we can be absolutely certain that Jesus rose from the dead. The linear change, it really did happen. A to B. He was dead, but he's now alive again. The resurrection of Jesus is like money in the bank. You can count on it. You can build your life on the gospel of the risen Lord Jesus. But what does that actually mean? Paul is telling us to stick with the gospel we know, to build our lives upon it. But what does that mean for our futures? Because that's still uncertain, isn't it? We still don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Well, that's what the rest of the chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 is about. How do you know what will be in the future? Will you know, you know that because of the resurrection of Jesus, we will be raised too. A man has risen from death to life. Death is no longer the fixed, firm reality that it used to be. Uh, now, my time is fast expiring, uh, so let me make a few brief comments on, on the next paragraph. Uh, can there be any doubt about the general resurrection? Uh, God has promised that all will be raised to life. Um, uh, those who trust in Jesus will be raised to the resurrection of eternal life, uh, and those who don't trust Jesus will be raised to the resurrection of eternal judgment. But it seems like there were some in the church at Corinth at the time who thought there would be no resurrection. Okay, perhaps Jesus had been raised. There's a lot of evidence for that. Um, it's pretty convincing, the sheer number of witnesses. But no one else is going to rise. That's just ridiculous, isn't it? And look, this thinking wasn't limited to Corinth either. Uh, in the Gospels, we meet a group of men called the Sadducees. Uh, and Matthew actually calls them the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection. Uh, he was a political party among the Jews who said there was no resurrection. Uh, they were in contrast to most of the Jews. Uh, most of the Jews believed there would be a resurrection uh, because God had said so. But it's not an uncommon belief today either, is it? There's no such thing as resurrection. Dead people stay dead. Rising from the dead's a load of nonsense, isn't it? It's impossible. It can't happen. That's what most people think, isn't it? In verses 12 to 19... Paul answers this objection with a series of if-then statements. Uh, we're going to rattle through them pretty fast, uh, but I'll try and unpick them as we go. Can the resurrection really happen? Well, verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, then how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? There's the question. How can you say there's no resurrection? Verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. That is, if there's no resurrection, then Christ was not raised. That follows, doesn't it? If resurrection is impossible, it's impossible that Jesus has been raised. Verse 14, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Why is that? Well, because the gospel we know is that Christ died, Christ was buried, and Christ was raised and that he appeared. But if the dead aren't raised, well, that couldn't have happened. And so the preaching of the gospel is useless. Uh, and our faith in the gospel, it's useless. Verse 15, more than that, we are found to have been false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Jesus from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. Okay, that one's a little bit circular, but did you follow it? If there's no resurrection, Christ didn't rise. And if Christ didn't rise, then Paul and the other apostles have been telling lies. 
because they've been telling people all over the world that Christ rose from the dead. And if he didn't, well, they're lying. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. See, if all this is true, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christian hope in Christ is for this life only. If dead people stay dead, if there's no resurrection, then Christ didn't rise. And if Christ didn't rise, we won't rise either. And then there's no forgiveness for sins. God still holds us guilty. That's a terrible thing. We are stuck. If there's no resurrection and hope in Christ is a lie, then Christian belief is laughable, pitiable, a waste of time. If you say there's no resurrection, as some people in Corinth did, then we might as well pack up and go home. We might as well close the doors and never come back because we're wasting our time here. Verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. The resurrection is like money in the bank. You can count on it. If the resurrection was impossible, Christ could not have risen. But he did. He has risen. It's not just theoretically possible that a man might rise from the dead. Someone actually has. The linear change has happened. Jesus has crossed from death to life. He has certainly been raised from the dead. And so we can be certain about the general resurrection too. Death is not stronger than Jesus. The resurrection is like money in the bank. You can count on it. Jesus certainly rose. And if you've taken your stand on the gospel of Jesus, then you can be certain that you will be raised too. And we can't be certain about everything in life, but here is one fact on which we can build our lives. If we trust in Jesus, we will rise. This is the gospel we know, that Christ died for our sins, that Christ was buried, that Christ was raised according to the scriptures. Christ appeared to many and we who trust him will be raised with him too. This is the gospel we know. This gospel is certain. We pray with me. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Father, we praise you that you have broken death. Uh, that no longer does it, does it scare us. No longer do we need to fear it. And we praise you that Jesus has crossed from death to life. We praise you for the certain news of the gospel. We praise you for the certain news of the resurrection. Thank you for the confidence of knowing that Jesus appeared to many. Uh, Lord, would you help us to build our lives upon this news? Uh, Father, for those of us who've been trusting you for years, please help us to keep listening to this gospel. Help us not to grow bored or tired. Help us to rejoice in hearing the good news of Jesus again. 
help us to keep building our lives on it. And for those of whom are here, whom this is new news, Lord, help them to believe it. Help them to take hold of it. Please give them life. In Jesus' name.